This is the Liberal Europe podcast by ELF. Bringing liberal ideas into the political debate. With Leszek Jezdziewski and Ricardo Silvestra. Hello and welcome to Liberal Europe. My name is Leszek Jezdziewski and we're going to talk about Russia today. I think, uh, not Russia today as a, as a TV, uh, but as a Russia of political situation after the death of Alexei Navalny, uh, second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine and uh, forthcoming presidential elections in March uh, 15 and 17th. And I have a great guest today, uh, Denis Bilunov, who is a PhD candidate at the Cherish University, a founding member of Prague Russian Anti-War Committee. Uh, between 2005 and 2015, he was a public person in the Russian opposition, organizer of mass protests in 2011-2012, executive director of Solidarność Movement, led by Boris Nemtsov and Garry Kasparov, among others. Uh, he is now based in, in Prague. Denis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So uh, let's let's start with the with the sad news of, of death of Alexei Navalny. It caused a great outrage in the West, but do you think it will have any influence uh, within Russia? Well, uh, I can say that many people were shocked by the news, and uh, I took it personally because I interacted with Alexei for quite a while, and uh, well, we had our stories, you know. We argued, we did something together. So uh, he was someone who I knew. And uh, uh, of course, when he um, opted to, to come back to Russia and to, to, uh, when he finished in prison, so we were aware of the fact that he is not safe. But still, uh, I didn't expect that the regime would make this uh, horrible decision just to kill him in cool blood. Uh, a cold blood, and uh, well, I'm quite sure that the decision was made on purpose. This is not just, you know, uh, uh, some consequences for his uh, health, and uh, unfortunately, we can say that he was uh, uh, intentionally assassinated by by the regime in prison. And uh, speaking about consequences uh, in Russia, let's just have a look at what has been happening in the recent days. When uh, Alexei's mother uh, came to uh, this uh, faraway place uh, to demanding the body of her son, and uh, the regime, they just just didn't want to give the body, and uh, and it's quite clear why because uh, they are afraid of a public event in Moscow, a funeral, and uh, people coming to uh, pay uh, the last tributes to to the guy. The reaction, the emotional reaction of people who supported Alexei, who liked him, is strong. And uh, in Moscow, there is still there is a lot of people. I think so. We're talking about uh, at least dozens of thousands of people. When I got this news, uh, 1 p.m. Prague time, I posted an emotional uh, post on my Facebook saying, guys, who have, we have to react, and uh, I'm going to be in front of the Russian embassy in Prague at five. So please, some, someone who, uh, who feels like me, please join. When I came there, there was a crowd of several hundred people who managed somehow to get this news in several hours and to make decision to come. And uh, uh, Of course, that's Prague, but, but, but in Moscow, there is much more people. And uh, yes, people are afraid, but still, uh, 
this is funeral and the well the regime refusing uh the right to to come to funeral that's something new and i don't think they are prepared to 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 make obstacles so i think that uh the reaction would be significant it's uh, just hours after the death of alexei navalny Uh, his wife, Yulia Navalnaya, made a very powerful speech at the Munich Security Conference. Do you think that her making probably a step into the politics and the death of her husband, do you think that that might mean somehow some sort of transformation of the Russian uh, opposition scene? Do you think that she might become a, a political force of her own in the Russian uh, opposition? Well, uh I don't know Yula uh so close well as much as I knew Alexei uh, but uh, as far as I knew earlier she definitely uh didn't have an intention to join closely Alexei's activities. So at this point her decision to follow up Alexei's cause uh, was a big surprise for me but I respect a lot this decision and uh I definitely um support this decision and uh, I would urge all my opposition colleagues to support this decision as well unless there are some complications because you know uh, it's quite typical uh, not only in Russian political exile but uh, among uh, every other single exile in the world because I, I talked a lot to my Turkish colleagues and Indonesian colleagues and they say it's barely the same everywhere that Politicians in exile always have their jealousies and competition among each other and, and this stuff. Uh, and I think, uh, unfortunately, there uh, will be problems of the kind also in this case. But uh, still, I think that uh, we have to make an effort and to get rid of these complications and uh, to support you uh, this critical moment. And uh, hopefully... Uh, We will be together and uh, we, we will uh, manage to, to act together and, and uh, Yulia would be like uh, the leader and um, I hope uh, she would have enough energy and skills to do this job for quite a long time. So speaking of the, speaking of the opposition abroad, uh, Alexander Morozov from the Charles University where, where you are based um, at the moment wrote that uh, Um, Russian, the political community and media community and geo community that left Russia uh, quite quickly resumed its activities, but failed to create significant political representation for itself. Uh, political structures, and he is describing the situation in which you have certain offices of Khodorkovsky, of Navalny, of, of uh, Kasparov, and, and, and different uh, other powerful uh, of Nimtsova. Of other, um, but it doesn't necessarily create a political structure, even if those offices cooperate. Do you think that there is an alternative course for for this group to all sort of break through with this uh, with this problem that you described? And also because there is perhaps not that radical or visible opposition within Russia. So how would you how would you try? I don't know if unification is is actually a, a solution, but what sort of role uh, you see for the for the Russian emigres, and how do you think this this obstacles that you described you can try to overcome? Well, actually, it, it, it depends much on the perspective because uh, the thing is that the majority of people you just named 
the um, their paradigm is quite simple. Uh, so uh, they say Ukraine wins, Russia changes. So the only thing we have to do is to urge uh, the world to help Ukraine as much as possible. And uh, as soon as Ukraine wins, then there will be a, a window of opportunities for us in Russia and uh, for democratic change in Russia. Uh, this paradigm is um, kind of, you know, I could understand it in the first months of the war. But unfortunately, so the recent, in the course of recent months, uh, I have to say this paradigm is not that optimistic. And it's not about Ukraine wins. I hope Ukraine wins and I have to, to do everything I can uh, to help. But uh, the problem is that Ukraine wins, Russia don't changes, doesn't change. So that's my point. And uh, I have also to recall Saddam Hussein, who lost uh, his first war in the Gulf War. Uh, and it, it, it was critical defeat for him. And he, he was under sanctions and uh, he was humiliated. But somehow the guy managed to stay in power for another 12 years. And uh, uh, that's my point, that we have to be prepared for this scenario. And uh, unfortunately, uh, under current war circumstances, it's even more like that uh, the regime uh, would stay in power for quite a while, like maybe at least five, seven years and maybe more. And uh, at this point, uh, I think we have to learn uh, from Cuban diaspora how they managed to cope and uh, to build a, a stronger community in Florida to become maybe one of the most influential diasporas in the United States. This perspective implies that our main focus uh, of people who are uh, outside of Russia should be uh, here. So we have to get together Russians, Russian nationals who are outside of Russia. And that's, we're talking about several million of people. And uh, some of them are not definitely supporters of, of the opposition. And especially in countries like Germany, there is a lot of Putin lovers. So uh, it's a big challenge to, uh, to consolidate uh, like-minded people like us and uh, to get together at least hundreds of thousands. And uh, as far as our op opinion leaders, don't think about it as the first priority. And uh, instead, they are concentrating on what's happening uh, on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine and uh, what's happening inside Russia. And we have to help those who are inside Russia because we are going to be back like in about one year or two. Uh, so that's, I think, a wrong perspective uh, because uh, definitely I would like to help Ukraine as much as we can, but we can to help more if we are well organized and well established. So we have our first priority should be like convincing uh, Russian nationals living outside of Russia to get together. Because by default, people, they um, choose, you know, their personal strategies and uh, they don't think about uh, getting together politically. They uh, think about integration uh, in the societies of their new countries. And they think about their personal problems, uh, about jobs, about, you know, uh, organizing their new life. And uh, uh, when you say we are opinion leaders and we are going to change Russia very soon, they say, OK, maybe, but we have some other problems here. And uh, if you want to unite them and to get them together, you have to think about their problems and you have to, to, to communicate uh, with them directly. So this, that's a political challenge.
we we have to be aware of this political challenge and to do something about it. I think that's very important what you're saying, and I think history proves that those who focus on short-term political goals at home often become insignificant, while those who build a long-lasting, sometimes cultural, sometimes other uh, political movements within the countries that are hosting them, uh, or focusing on delivering independence, um, independence information, or building an independent voice of the uh, of the country of, from which they immigrated, sometimes they become much more significant, even if not in directly political way. Um, and speaking of, of, of politics, we, we had recently uh, another uh, challenger to Putin blocked from uh, registering. So um, after uh, Ekaterina Dunsova was rejected, uh, Boris Nadezhin candidature was also blocked over alleged flaws in, their, in his application. And Nadezhin interestingly said that uh, in the recent interview for Moscow Times that he learned from Navalny mistakes and that he is not calling for mass mobilization of his supporters to protest on the streets. And do you think that there is still a room for the legal opposition inside Russia that can challenge Putin or are we talking about dissidents only from, from now on? Well, I think that we live in a world uh, like post-industrial world, uh, internet, uh, and uh, um, you can't just freeze the society. Uh, and uh, something is going to happen always. Definitely such a huge country with a lot of conflicts inside uh, and different interests, different groups of interests. Uh, there will be some politics anyway, but... Uh, um, People um, would adapt to what's happening, and they, it, it, it's a path of compromise for people. Uh, for us, people who are outside of Russia, this com- kind of compromise sometimes seems even un- unacceptable. Well, too much compromise, and uh, um, I have my personal limits as well. Uh, and uh, if someone says, "Okay, so now we don't have Dunsova, now we don't have Nadezhin, but let's vote instead, at least for someone else." against Putin among, let's pick up uh, one guy like, I don't know, Davanko for the communists and uh, uh, accumulate our votes against Putin just to demonstrate there is strong will for alternative. Unfortunately, those clowns that remain on the ballot uh, are not appropriate. And uh, uh, someone would say Dunsova and Nadezhdin were not appropriate. And uh, so it, it didn't make sense to support them but uh, so it's uh, it's a question of your own flexibility uh, my vision is Dunsova and Nadezhdin were at least an, a good attempt uh, while the communist guy definitely not uh, so that's why the Kremlin I think is aware of this fact and that's why they blocked uh, Dunsova that's why they blocked Nadezhdin and still the communist guy is in the ballot uh, so it's quite clear, and this way of thinking, I think, is, is quite common among uh, all those who support eventual democratic change in Russia. So uh, uh, at this point, um, I, I would continue uh, monitoring uh, what's happening inside Russia, and there are still people uh, who who are brave enough to find a way uh, to oppose and. Uh, some of them are my friends, and uh, some of them I don't know at all. 
but uh, I respect all of them and uh, uh, definitely we have to help them, I think. And uh, we don't have to uh, just deny any opportunity, uh, any path of compromise for them. Uh, still, uh, our main challenge is here and uh, we have to, to, to build a strong community. And that from this position, we would help them better, I think. So th that's, that's my, my vision how we proceed. I think people all, uh, often underestimate that elections can play an important role even in autocratic regimes such as Putin's regime. Um, I wanted to ask you, what's your view? What's, what's in it for Kremlin? Because I think it's, of course, not a manifestation of support for him, but perhaps of control. That's why he didn't want to allow any candidate that might get any popularity that is against the, um, against the war. Um, do you think that uh, some that those elections will uh, or are influencing or might change uh, that after elections the course of the regime might slightly change? How what what do you think is shaping now the calculus of of Putin and uh, and people around him uh, with regard to election, but also with regard to, to other political challenges they they see, uh, especially that. Uh, I don't know to what extent we should believe it, but some independent polls are showing that majority of Russians would prefer negotiations to the to the lasting uh, so-called special military operation. Well, the thing is that um, if we want to make an effort and to analyze why uh, the assassination of Navalny happened, I think uh, it was not just an occasion, and uh, as I already mentioned, it was a decision. At this point, there is a question, why? Because why now? Uh, uh, obviously, uh, if Putin needs uh, this democratic facade of the election, so why would he kill Navalny in, in this moment? This looks like uh, completely out of logic, but there is a logic, actually, because um, if we remember Prigozhin's mutiny, we have to, to, uh, to presume that there is a serious tension inside the Kremlin among certain groups. And Putin uh, always was like an arbiter. But uh, if they think about certain redesign of uh, the system of power after the election, uh, and there are serious conflicts inside, how we say, under the carpet, maybe uh, eventually this conflict would have some serious implications and the losing side could uh, um, play also Navalny's card, you know. And uh, uh, so those who uh, think about this right now, or who were thinking about this like two months ago, they concluded that maybe Navalny, even in prison, could be potential danger. And and so that's the, we arrived to, to why, uh, why did they decide to, to kill him? Because just to eliminate this threat in case of certain, you know, implications. And that, that means that we're going to see this year, I think, like maybe uh, in summer or in autumn, um, some, some significant redesign of, of Putin's system of power. I'm not sure uh, exactly what we're talking about, but something will, is going to happen for sure. There was this recent interview for Tucker Carlson by, by Putin. Uh, it, it proved that he is really obsessed with the history, giving some very, uh, well, quoting, I think, quite obscure outside Russia and Poland's 
events from the Russo-Ukrainian Polish history of 17th century. Um, and I, I'm wondering, do, do you think uh, to what extent it is on, on, you know, on the personal level that it is about him or to what extent the sort of rationale of the regime is that now it needs this war with Ukraine to be able to control the society in the way it controls, to control the potential challengers within the political system, uh, and to what extent this control actually allows because Putin for to have some maneuver and because he's controlling the propaganda, there is no real opposition against him. To what extent do you think he can make this decision personally and if situation changes, if his calculation changes to enter negotiations and perhaps even, you know, give away anything? Or our only hope is that at some point Putin dies and, you know, regime changes. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I have to say that um, any attempts to explain or to justify um, your actions, your present actions, your future actions, referring to some historical, you know, patterns, uh, or, uh, referring to something that happened in, in the Middle Ages or even in the 19th century, all, thing, all, all this, I, I think, doesn't make any real sense. And uh, uh, it's not only Putin who does this. Uh, there is a lot of people who try to, to uh, explain their position making references to, to the Middle Ages and whatever, national mentality and the stuff. So I'm quite skeptical about it. I think that people change very quickly. And uh, my personal experience of the early 90s says that typical Homo Sovieticus uh, of the end of the 80s converted in months, if not in weeks, in something completely else, something completely different. And... Uh, 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 I think that specifically now, uh, w with the internet uh, communications and which dramatically changed the world, old patterns are not really valid, and we have to think about uh, uh, the way this new 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 world, new postmodern world, uh, uh, how it works and how it's going to work in future, because it's something really different. So uh, now let's go back to Putin. Uh, I think maybe personally, he uh, it's not only propaganda for him. I think maybe he uh, somehow believes in, in these uh, things that he refers to. And um, probably he was influenced by some, some people around him, maybe some, I don't know, orthodox uh, priests, maybe some ideologists like Dugin. Uh, but uh, still, he is uh, uh, by nature a very cynical person. So, if he believes in something, it doesn't mean he um, his action would always base on that. And uh, uh, so, we have to, all in all, uh, we ha we have to uh, take uh, all this uh, Putin's sayings about history and the stuff, blah 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 as uh, propaganda and uh, well nothing else and and, and if he dies in if, if he dies uh, that doesn't mean regi the regime changes yeah well it will change of course but uh, uh, people around him uh, they already formed uh, a certain you know compound certain social group maybe uh, that still ha has this intention to to follow up 
and uh, to continue the same line, more or less. Oh, okay, they, they, they would maybe uh, even stop the war, they, they, but they wouldn't change the, the, uh, the nature of the regime inside Russia. And that's very important for us. And we have to, to think how we're going to deal with that. To, uh, to end our conversation, I wanted to ask you um, about the potential scenarios, because some people inside Russia, but also outside Russia, um, are afraid of the escalation, potential escalation, also to the NATO countries, as if the war in Ukraine were not bad enough. It doesn't seem like perhaps a possibility now, but if Russia builds its capabilities, it well, it cannot be excluded, especially if Ukraine is deprived of the support from the United States and, and Europe. Uh, some other commentators are, uh, are very much were warning against uh, this growing alliance between Russia and China. Uh, I know that some Russians are afraid of this growing vassalization uh, to China. I don't know if you if you feel that it is another scenario that might evolve. So Putin wanted to change the the international world order to be become the sovereign player, but he might be growing more and more dependent on China and even other worse regimes like Iran and, and North Korea. And 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 thirdly, like, do you see any potential developments that might um, that might end this war? Uh, that there are perhaps different ways to, to end or pause the, the, the war. It might even last a very, very long time. You said at the beginning that uh, Russian defeat doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the, the world will end or the regime will, will change. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that might be a very different calculation here. So it's, it's, a very broad, it's a very broad question, but I wanted to, to, to ask you how, how, how you see this evolving in the future. Well, uh, it's a matter of international politics, of course. And uh, the crucial uh, point is uh, what's going to happen in the United States and in the European Union, because uh, obviously uh, this is uh, critical if they continue to support Ukraine at least at the same level. Uh, and Ukraine claims that they have to, to support Ukraine even more. And uh, 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 in my position, I have to, to, to support Ukraine's claims, of course, because uh, uh, so it's their decision, their, their sacrifice. And we have to, to, I have a lot of respect because uh, uh, the easiest thing uh, Zelensky could do is just to, uh, to resign in, in the first weeks and uh, to, uh, you know, to, to, to secure his own personal future. And, uh, but it's not only his decision, but it's the decision of the Ukrainian nation. And uh, uh, we have to help them as long as they, uh, uh, they want to, 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 to continue to fight. Uh, but we have also to bear in mind that the Ukrainian society changes as well. And uh, this is another uh, point. And, uh, but I, I don't feel I, I can judge this issue. It's, 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 not my, it's not my position to do it. Right. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure to, to have you discuss these very difficult and complex issues. Dennis Villeneuve was our guest, uh, Alibra Europe. Uh, thank you for, for being with us and uh, please tune in for the Ricardo Silvestri next week. Next week. Yeah, thank you, Leszek, uh, for this week. opportunity. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, uh, let's tune in with me and in the next uh, uh, two weeks' time. Thank you. Bye. You are listening to the Liberal Europe podcast by the European Liberal Forum. 
This podcast was co-financed by the European Parliament.